everybody. Welcome back. Hello. Welcome back to our 40th fucking episode. This podcast is older than we are. And y'all said we couldn't. No, no one said. Did anyone say say we couldn't do it? Did anyone say we couldn't do this? Because we did it. We did it. Um, And uh, this is such a great one. if you live in, well, if you live on this globe, you are affected say, by this. If you live but on we, planet Earth. Right. Um, but me and Molly were in Southern California and we are experiencing uh, fire season and our skies are literally orange and we are just, it's in our fucking faces. And yeah, we're in LA and yeah, it's trendy to be uh, environmentally conscious, but it's not, it's, it's above that. It's above that at this point or beyond that at this point, I I should say, like, it's just, it's so important and it's so, um, irresponsible to not make this a priority. And I know we talked about this too, me and Molly, it's just kind of like, it gets overwhelming and we get it, you know, where do you start? So we want to have Miss Lindsay Page McCloy come on and she is the senior advisor for the Office of Sustainability under uh, de Blasio in New York City. And she's done a lot of good work there. And New York's one of the greenest cities in the world. And um, we just want to pick her brain and talk about what progress has been made and what still needs to be made and why we uh, need to fucking vote. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she has a lot, a lot to say to um that's very specific. And I appreciate because, you know, being in L.A., environmental consciousness is trendy, but it's often very performative. And everybody thinks that because you have your green juice and your glass straw, you're doing big things. And there's so much more we need to know and we need to do. I include myself in this. I I don't know enough. And so, yeah, let's uh, let's all take a note from what she has to say. Enjoy. Thank you so much, LP, for being here. I'm so Thank excited. You. Thank you guys for having me. This is really exciting. Appreciate it. Oh, I am so excited. I busted out my little green. <laughs> I love it. We're going to be green today. Environmental nice. shirt. Yes. Um, oh, gosh, I am so excited to talk about everything because I know uh, the work you do. And I am, especially now with COVID and everything. And just with the fires going on here but like I want you before I get into it like to just kind of briefly tell the audience the SOS moment of this episode sure um so the SOS moment is the climate crisis um so (laughs) you know we're we're surrounded by (laughs) pictures of orange nuclear winter sky uh and fire and snow at the same time in Colorado so I'd say we're in the middle of it yeah this is great and just so people listening know we're recording this on September 9th so it's like in the midst of the orange skies in San Francisco. Yeah, there's fire and ice in Colorado. We don't know what's happening to the world. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad here. And we're in L.A. I know you're in New York, but like we were just saying how we have been waking up to orange, red, gray skies. And it's no matter where you like Southern California is just really fucking feeling it right now. But with covid, like there's no way you're not going to be affected by this because climate change is is a huge factor. Um, and that's why I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, but I'm interested, like, I really want to know how this became kind of a passion for you and like, what did you want to kind of study and how did you get into it? Totally. Um, so 
like many people, I came to climate by accident, sort of. Mm. Um, so I, so I grew up, when I was growing up, my dad was in the Marines, so we moved mm. a lot. Um, so I have uh, experienced many of our country's public school systems, many of our yeah. different <laughs> amounts of funding for science curriculums, uh, approaches yeah. to teaching evolution in schools, et cetera, all across <laughs> this great country. Um, but I actually, when I was in elementary school, I actually lived in central California. So we lived in Monterey. My dad was um, at the Naval Postgraduate School there. Um, which like when you're in first grade and you're, that is an incredible time to be immersed in a school that really cares about the environment and is really embedded in like, we're going to yeah. go watch like the monarch butterfly migration. We're also going to tell you about how everybody's destroying all the milkweed and the monarchs are dying. So I was pretty like devastated every day, um, because of, <laughs> like some sort of uh, plant crisis. Um, but then I just sort of always have been interested in sort of like being kind of chronically helpful almost, um, and sort of wanting to work on things that have impact for people. I also could never conceptualize of a job that was not in government because that's everybody in my family has worked for the government. I had no idea what people did. It's like, you can work at like a store, you can work at a restaurant or you can work at the government. I don't know what you do (laughs) at a a business. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Still to this day, it would be hard for me to tell you. Um, so I went to school for mechanical engineering, um, Ah. So I was interested in kind of like systems-based thinking, but also Mm -hmm. like deeply practical. I was just like, well, I'm not going to go to expensive college for something that isn't Mm going to guaranteed get me a job. Um, So I studied mechanical engineering and focused on material science there. Interesting. Um, Wait, which, yeah, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting actually, because so I... I don't know. So I was never like a particularly talented mechanical engineer. Um, It sort of like requires you to be super, super detail oriented, like really sort of like mechanically fluent. Like people, everybody in my classes had been like working on cars since they were five years old. And I Uh. didn't really know how to use a hammer. Like I kind of did, (laughs) but like not really. Um, But the things that I really liked were sort of like almost more kind of I don't, creative is the wrong word, but like fluid is really the only way that I can think about it. Mm -hmm. So like, um, material science is kind of like physics, um, chemistry and mechanical engineering sort of all put together. So sort of thinking about like fundamental properties of materials, like what happens when you heat up steel? Like what do the crystals do? Oh, I see. How do you like transform one material into another? Like how the properties change? Exactly. Um, so I was really, I got really interested in sort of like the materials that go into making things like solar cells or new kinds of fuels. Um, or like, what do you use to coat the insides of a nuclear reactor? So it doesn't get too hot. Like it, all that kind of stuff is like really fascinating to me. Um, so I got really into that. Um, and then, uh, my internships were all kind of in like product development world. Um, so I worked Mm. on some stuff in like the global development realm, um, sort of like designing vaccine thermoses, that kind of stuff. Um, which was all really cool. Um, It did take me a while uh, to kind of learn that maybe it wasn't awesome for like a 21-year-old white woman from Tennessee to be like, this is how I should design a vaccine chain for all of sub-Saharan Africa. Like, I totally know how to do that. Like, why not? Um, It was sort of in those like halcyon days of like, oh, if we make a water pump on Kickstarter, it will fix Africa, right? Yeah, 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 that was sort of the the mode um and so i sort of eventually was like mm, this is weird i don't know maybe this isn't this isn't the spot this feels wrong. um it's yeah it's a little bit so my uh, i know everybody always talks about their politics getting more conservative as they get older i like definitely went from a very middle road like la da da global development to like nope um yeah. very quickly yeah um 
and then after school, I actually was going to go work on cars. Um, so I was going to work for a car company. Um, and then both through some like circumstances under my control and circumstances not under my control, um, ended up in New York instead. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, ended up at a power company of all places. So oh, wow. yeah, my first job at a school as like a tiny little 21-year-old girl was like um, working with power plant operators to help them design <laughs> power plant control interfaces. Wow. Which was like so hard <laughs> um mostly because those guys really just wanted me to figure out how to make lunch break really long they were amazing like super talented super brilliant but they like definitely saw their way to sort of like a, a chill day at work when they or they, yeah. they knew one when they saw one um wow but, yeah, i feel like cool. i mean this is maybe jumping ahead but i i just feel like how are you not working for elon musk at this point <laughs> i know well right. so the, here's the problem with me is that i don't believe in money Oh, oh well, that's why. Like, got it. Got that's it. That's sort of where how I kind of ended up back over here. So um, I think I sort of, and I don't know. So the the first power company I worked at was a, it was like a public private thing. Like I, I know there's a few utilities in California as well that are sort of more state owned or like more sort of municipally owned. Like I, Sacramento has a municipal utility, um, for example, that's pretty much controlled by the, the city government and essentially like elected representatives. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was kind of similar to that, but for New York state. Um, and I was just like, oh, this is a great idea. Like public ownership, public control of an asset. That's like fundamentally for the public good. Like that's, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really necessarily know why people are trying to make like historic profit margins on electricity, which is something that everybody needs to have. Right. Um, So, so that was kind of think about that. I know, right? It's like the idea that, um, I mean, like Con Ed, which is our utility here, um, is I think has like some of the the highest guaranteed profits and returns like of any company um, because wow. they get, uh, this is really like jumping into the weeds, but um, utilities, especially in places where they're not like all controlled by one utility or not all controlled by the state, mm-hmm. um, have, they get like what's called ra- uh, guaranteed rate of return on all their investments. Um, so anytime they, it's like their incentive to put mm-hmm. money into the system um, they are like guaranteed like 14 to 20 percent profit wow. return uh, or they can charge rates that would get them that level of return, which is really interesting in the California context because uh, they've been causing a lot of wildfires. Yep. And right. Well, they've been rolling so they blackouts, too, though, yeah, which is interesting. Exactly. Wow. Yep. <laughs> it gets messy <laughs> really fast. Wow. OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I just like w- we wandered all over the place. But um, no, but that's yeah. all stuff we want to know I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I, so how did you what led you to your job now sure um so I um when I was working at the power company it was sort of when this like um this sort of newish field or new brand of a field around like smart cities and smart infrastructure was really mm-hmm. taking off mm-hmm. um because I was like the millennial with bangs on the team <laughs> I got a lot of the projects that were like sensors internet Same. um yeah it's, <laughs> it's like so why not <laughs> um because everybody else was like a PhD in transformer systems engineering. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, but everybody, when everybody was kind of faced with this brand new thing around like, how can we use the internet and like tiny cheap sensors on stuff? And what can we do with that to like make things run better, more efficiently, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. That was something that I was like, oh, this, this makes a lot of sense. But yeah. where this really makes a lot of sense is like, why don't we have internet connected streetlights? Why don't we have internet water meters why don't we like why aren't we using these things in a city context um so when the city when the when mayor de blasio was elected in 2014 um he appointed the first chief technology officer for new york city 
and um, her she basically sent an email to a class I was taking. It was like, does anybody want to come work here? And I was what? like, sure. <laughs> um, so I joined that first team and worked there for a few years on like different smart city programs. Wow, wow, um, and a she too. Like, is there yeah, a lot of women? It was cool. So sorry to interrupt, but like, is there a lot of no. women in your field in that field in no, general? No, not in that field. Um, in sustainability, there's a lot more women. Um, uh-huh. probably because um. There's a lot of reasons, I think, why that's the case. But up until I worked at that job, I hadn't had any female coworkers. Like, Mm -hmm. my first job was, like, all men. There were women in the company who I, like, worked with, but on my teams or in my reporting structure, all men. Um, So working for her was really cool. Um, Her name was Minerva. uh, Is Minerva. She's still doing great. Um, (laughs) So I I worked on that team for a minute. Um, Worked for a few different chief technology officers because working in government is... Always a, a fun time um, mm-hmm. in terms of like executive leadership sometimes. <laughs> and um, kind of, so I started out working on like super traditional um, kind of like technology strategy stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we have this new class of technology. We probably need some rules around it because otherwise people are just going to kind of buy whatever. They're not going to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. There's going to be internet and benches and it's not, and it's like, why do we have that? Mm-hmm. Like if, if we just buy it because it's shiny, it's not going to be very useful or a very good use of taxpayer money. Right. Um, yeah. So I spent a lot of time writing guidelines and rules, which I, I love instructions. Mm-hmm. So that was like super fun for me. Um, and then <laughs> kind of like sort of halfway through that job, started working um, on some projects to look at different technologies in like in place, um, particularly with communities that aren't always the first communities to get the shiny new thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you walk around many pl- parts of the country, you know, you, there's the neighborhood where they have the, you know, fancy displays yep. where you can tell when the next train is coming. And then there's right. the neighborhood where they don't have that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or like where the sidewalks work versus where the sidewalks are broken. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we did some work um, to sort of build a community technology, like planning and learning group um, in a neighborhood called Brownsville, which is sort of like out in Brooklyn, um, like past mm. past the gentrification lines. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a small neighborhood um, with a lot of history of being like one of the areas where uh, rates of black homeownership were the highest in the city, um, mm-hmm. highest density of public housing in the city, mm-hmm. um, also some of the highest crime rates in the city. So it's like a really, um, you know, it's historic disinvestment in that community. It's just like yeah. generations yeah. long at this point, like 50,000 men incarcerated going to be coming back into that community wow. in the next 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you profess to be part of an administration, which is also part of the reason I joined the de Blasio administration, because, um, it was one of the first ones really in New York city to have this very explicit commitment to equity and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so, not only did that make the work of doing things like this really easy, but it also attracted incredible people who I've mm-hmm. been like so blessed and fortunate to work with and learn yeah. from who are super committed like to doing the hard work of, of increasing and improving justice in the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know this too, but like I, I'm always fascinated with with like, I mean, living in New York myself too and just learning about everything that they are doing. New York is and, and was even before you joined the, one of the greenest cities in the world. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and, and I did not even know that living there because you don't even think about it. It doesn't feel it. like it. No, <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> it really doesn't feel that way, which is interesting. It's actually this like problem that we have a lot is sort of like, how do we talk to New Yorkers about sustainability? Mm, right. Um, because people are like, oh, sustainability is for California people. Sustainability is for <laughs> tree huggers. It's for mm-hmm. crunchy people in Vermont. It's not for New Yorkers. Like, what yeah. is that? Um, right. So just like the amount of 
time we've spent being like, so what does this mean for New Yorkers? Because like, mm. you're right, it is, it's been both a leader in terms of like climate and sustainability action. I mean, New York City was the first city to start issuing a comprehensive sustainability plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to, during the Bloomberg administration, which is the previous mayor, um, they basically started reaching or releasing these like four year plans committing to different sustainability strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the de Blasio administration sort of like rebranded it and added an explicit focus on equity to the plan. Um, oh, wow. So I've worked on that plan a couple of times um, in terms of just like, here's what we're going to do. We're mm-hmm. focusing on this. We publish our greenhouse gas emissions every year, which most cities don't, don't do largely because it's a colossal pain in the ass to figure it out. Does but, Los Angeles? Uh, uh, Los Angeles publishes sometimes, not every year though. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, like climate action in LA is really fascinating. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm also just like jumping around here. I apologize. No, that's no not at all. No, I mean, it's mind. all important, really. You know, mm-hmm. just <laughs> there's just so much to say. Well, I know. Yes, because. And this isn't a big question of mine. You know, we're living in L.A. You're in New York. These are two major cities. One's the one of the greenest one. You know, it's it's definitely on everybody's minds, specifically during fire season, I feel like. But how do you feel like and and you already posed the question, like, how do we talk to New Yorkers about climate change? Mm -hmm. How do we talk to the Midwest and like the middle states, the red states, really, about Mm -hmm. climate change? Totally. Well, so. It's been really, really interesting to watch the progress of the Sunrise Movement over essentially like the past three years. Um, So it's like it was interesting because I I was sort of like writing this up for some reason the other day, but um, like almost exactly a month after I started my job at Sustainability, because eventually I was like, I'm over the Internet. Internet's evil. And I actually (laughs) learned like so much about sort of like structural organizing um, sort of like different kinds of advocacy from all the communities that are working in tech and like for tech justice mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sort of open source and community sharing and commons and everything. Um, a lot of that information kind of like led me back to more explicit environmental work. Um, so when a job opened up at sustainability, I was like, yes, I shall go. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so almost a month after I started that job was when the Sunrise Movement um, staged their first sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office. Uh, demanding oh, wow. a Green New Deal, which Nancy Pelosi then called the Green Dream or whatever, um, and, which is very wow. cute. Um, but, <laughs> I, you know, at the time, like so much of the conversation around the environment was still this very like I always just called it like this. Oh, dear of it all. Like, it's just yeah. like, everybody's like, oh, no, the, the plants. And it's like, yes, the plants, it's a problem. But that's it's not necessarily meaningful for people who have a lot of stuff that they're worried about in their lives. Yeah. They're worried about how am I going to get health care? How am I going to keep a, a decent roof over my head? How am mm-hmm. I going to get a job? Like, what are my kids going to do at school? Like, worrying about, like, for, conifers is not yeah. <laughs> high on that person's necessarily list of priorities. Not that yeah. it necessarily categorically isn't, but there's sort of, like, this hierarchy of mental stress. Survival. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, And so... Really, like, especially when you think about the, like, the Ed Markey election in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, which has been an interesting case study because, like, pretty much, like, uh, Joe Kennedy ran on this sort of thing that everybody thought was the template, which is like, That's I'm young, so I'm progressive, I right. love trans people, like, all those things are great, awesome, but, like, he's not standing up for climate action, I and know. Democrats like had this hole in the center where it's just like, what is it? What does it mean to be a Democrat in 2020 and 2016 and 2018? Like, <sighs> it, does it just mean like the party of be nice or does it like, right. what are we doing? Right. Um, and like meaningful sort of intersectional climate action really like it, it cuts across like 
age yeah. lines, class lines, gender lines. Like this is something that people um, who are sort of like more on the, the left side of the political spectrum really get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really encouraging to watch um, climate candidates win races that mm-hmm. you might not have thought that they would have won. The otherwise. first Kennedy, right? Isn't he the first yeah. Kennedy to not win? First one to lose. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not win. Yeah. I can't. I, yeah. It was so it was bizarre. I knew that. Yeah. And I, I was like, what is, what are we? It's such a good question of like, yeah. what do we really want? And it's For like, sure. and, and with everything going on, like, how do you not kind of open your eyes to everything? And, and, well, and, and, and I crazy. feel like a lot of it, well, obviously our, the way our country set up, Mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just money and yeah. so <laughs> yeah everything yeah. money everything and i was watching um something on netflix recently where there were it was they were in paris and they were talking about how paris has water stations clean water stations set up all throughout the city um for just free use for anybody they even have they have still and sparkling stations oh, you can God. basically go fill your water bottle with perrier oh. basically but like um they were talking to the woman who's in charge of like the city planning for it and and the water is like completely clean and it's just the it was that was only one aspect of it there's a whole episode on how what paris is doing and to me i mean i, I haven't lived in new york I mean, you, i've been there a bunch and you guys are both saying like it doesn't feel that way when you're there it just is like a normal you don't have that in your mind mm-hmm. and i'm looking at how paris is planned out in this show and i was like what like it why what's the catch like it makes so much sense what's the catch like they're providing people with clean water but where's the joke you know yeah, because exactly. here because here it's just like I don't know I, I know I personally I'm just jaded about our country right now because of the way it's all going so I'm just like what the fuck like America is not the greatest why do we say we're the best and but like so many other countries in the world are doing incredible things I know we have people doing incredible things here but I just kind of want to hear your your opinion on like those Paris, for example, because they're leading the way in a lot of areas. And as we're well. out of the Paris Agreement now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, so so that that's like it's a super fascinating, just like close study of like so many things that are wrong. So there's a couple of things that I think about when I when I think about things mm-hmm. like that. One is um, when you think about how to talk about and demonstrate and bring people along in a conversation around sustainability. Um, there's sort of a mix of like what do you do that's super visible and super tangible? And then what do you do to make it so seamless that it's like, you don't even know that you have to do right, something different. Right. So there's an interesting balance there. So like thinking about how do we, um, cause like New York city has the cleanest tap water in the United yeah, States. It's like it's many best. places in the world. You yeah. can just fill up from any tap, you know, of course, like wow. if you're living in a building where the landlord or anybody hasn't changed right. the lead lines in like 25 years, then you could have a problem. Um, but like there, are, you know, anytime that you're just sort of like in most buildings in the city, you're, you're cool to get like a glass of water, but yeah. that act of having those things in public and those things be like accessible and super visible to people, mm-hmm. like reminds people in Paris in a way that you're not reminded in New York city mm-hmm. of like, this is an important asset. Also, you should be taking advantage of this asset because we've gone yeah. out of our way to make it easy for you to and do that. And they had like vending machines that don't have bottled water they have empty bottles so mm-hmm. you can just get one of those and fill it up at a station or reuse it and yep. homeless homeless people have access to water for bathing yeah yeah and which is also super interesting because like people in the u.s are and this has actually come out a lot around covid um so some of one of the policy areas i've worked on a lot is around plastics and reusable items and single use and that kind of thing um people in the u.s think so many things are gross that are not gross um that people in other countries are like this is normal 
Um, yeah. like, like cloth, cloth diapers and <laughs> exactly. Like mm-hmm. I have friends who are just like, I can't use a reusable water bottle because yeah. it'll have germs. And I'm just like, huh? Like the plastic one that you got from the deli, like does right. Um, like I don't right. know. <laughs> this doesn't really add up to me here. Um, <laughs> but that's also something that's like fascinating uh, and yeah. a fascinating barrier to reuse in the United States. That like mm-hmm. if you talk to a company that works like both in the U.S. and in Europe, they're just like. You guys are cuckoo. Like yeah. <laughs> everything is like this, this sort of like yeah. um, sanitation theater. Yeah. Um, and it's like not even real. <laughs> it's like you guys sanitize everything and it's like, it's dirty. Like, I don't know what you guys yeah. are trying to do. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I think like having, having tangible touch points, um, but then also the city of Paris has done so much to make like biking accessible. Yeah. They yep. have free bike share there. Um, whereas yeah. in New York City, like, or in, I think in LA, it's roughly similar. Like if you want to, if you don't have a bike share membership, like the cheapest amount that you can pay is like $10 yeah. to borrow yeah. a bike for two hours. And it's like, I'm not paying $10. Like that's too much money. Right. $2 is something I'm willing to pay for like, a, yeah. oh, la da da. $10 is not that price. Um, um, so, so yeah. And then also thinking about like, um, gosh, what was I going to say? Um, sort of the the kind of underlying infrastructure that also supports something like that um like does it matter whether you can see it or not like Mm -hmm. new york is particularly sustainable because of like our mass transit systems Mm -hmm. because of our density um and things like that so um we've noticed that post-covid as people are worried about getting back on the train are getting worried about getting back on the bus of course like there's a lot of people in new york who don't have an option to not take the bus so that's a whole different conversation yeah um but people with the means to get in a car are taking cars, mm-hmm. um, which is not great um, for our air quality in the city. Right. For traffic, you know, if, if for traffic, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it's like the beating heart of New York City in mm-hmm. in so many ways. So like, you know, people aren't just taking the subway because it's environmentally friendly. They're taking mm-hmm. the subway because it gets you to where you need to go yeah. Yeah. way faster than getting in a car. Yeah. Um, for two dollars and seventy five cents, you can go yeah. anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, and so and I know that's something that's kind of like made it difficult for people to really adopt mass transit at scale in LA just because there isn't that sort of you can't just like walk into the subway in LA and go anywhere you want to go like it it takes you to a couple places yeah yeah but it's also so like when you're in New York and you're down there in the subway there's so many people Mm -hmm. and when you go in LA like I the last time I took it was like a year after was 2012 or something wow. and I went down oh, yeah. there with yeah, my girlfriend was and it was just two of us 2014 2015 <laughs> and I was like there's nobody that it's like us and like two sketchy looking men down the way <laughs> and nobody else is down there it feels very unsafe like someone yeah. could attack us at any point and no one else is down there there's like once in a while you see a security guard but like mm-hmm. it's the safety issue of it all i know stuff can happen in, in new york there too but like there's people around no, but all yeah, the time it's like and that, it's well that lit perception of emptiness is like is super mm-hmm. super tangible and yeah, yeah i mean i would be in a similar position i'd imagine if the subway was empty every day here right. i would <laughs> feel comfortable just hopping on it at two in the morning right or like especially yeah. if i had just moved here now i'm just like well, we live kind of close to the end of a subway line now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there were a couple of times when I would ride the subway, like back when anyone would do anything. Yeah. Um, and it would be like two in the morning. And there'd be guys just like passing around cigarettes yeah, in the course. subway car. It's two oh, yeah. at the end of the line. Oh, yeah. I've had yeah, working <laughs> so. late, like restaurant shifts in New York. Um, exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. You, you see some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like people are just like, I, this is my my private space. And I'm just uh, like, <laughs> you have your private space. I have mine. We're going to be OK. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm curious, like. Well, actually, first, I'm curious, why did we get out of the Paris Agreement, in your opinion? Like, um, why do you well, think he pulled us the, out? So the, the Trump administration doesn't like uh, doesn't like being told what to do. 
Um, and there's sort of this notion. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Um, and there's sort of this notion that, well, I mean, like most business leaders in the United States were sort of just like chomping at the bit, um, to get us out of this because, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, so there are some businesses who are very open or like, you know, moneyed interests in the country that are very open about the fact that they don't give two shits about like whether the planet burns or not. And Mm -hmm. then there's others that kind of like sort of say one thing and do another. Um, so there, there was a lot of interest, both from elected officials and from sort of like business and institutional interests in the U S um, in getting out of what were frankly, not even strong enough binding targets to get us to a place where we are averting catastrophic climate change. Um, right. (laughs) So, it's kind of like one of those things that, I don't know. So working in climate means that you every day have to both feel all of the devastation and grief that you can possibly feel. And also like this magical hope for like some Buzz Lightyear future. You have to like hold those things all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I get really cynical sometimes is kind of how that comes yeah. out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> so it just sort <laughs> We're of just going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it's beautiful. Everything's going to end tomorrow. Um, but there was sort of this, I mean, definitely, like, obviously withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement was a huge mistake and a huge travesty. Yeah. And I'm also just like, well, it wasn't, like, we weren't even going to meaningfully meet those targets anyway. Like, there was no evidence that anything yeah. in the United States was putting us on that path anyway. Because we don't have, like, not we ha- we don't have an executive who cares about it, but we don't have people all the way down to city councils who care right. about this and take yeah. this seriously. It starts at local government is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. And local government has so much control over so many things that have like such ramifications on our climate, like impacts on our climate footprint, like Mm -hmm. roads, road planning, like choosing to widen an interstate as opposed to building a mass transit line or um, permitting certain kinds of construction, like, you know, make huge mega towers when we don't have the energy, like the Mm -hmm. renewable energy resources to to deal with like that in a particular part of the city or the country. Um, Mm -hmm. All of those things are like, municipal like sometimes not even elected positions it's like appointed boards and committees it's like we just the fact that i mean we there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that every person both who's involved in like any sort of government administration but even people in general throughout their jobs realize that everything people do has Mm -hmm. a climate impact and you have the ability to impact the climate through the work that you do no matter what it is Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so yes i I was gonna ask you i mean i know it's a really open-ended vague question but like what's at stake if we don't vote blue in november oh like, my god <laughs> yeah i mean because... it's so i will i will be very frank um i had hoped for a different candidate for the president um, <laughs> real women settle for joe <laughs> yeah <laughs> for it. um i think that there has been great work that a lot of advocates and advocates activists have done to push the Biden campaign further left on climate. Mm -hmm. Um, If we, I mean, every single day, like one of the main goals of the Trump administration was to roll back as many regulations as possible. Most of those are environmental regulations. So it's not even like, because part of the problem also with with talking about climate is that timescales are kind of long, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, even though you guys in particular in Southern California feel the impact of climate change, like Mm -hmm. every single day, that's not necessarily the case throughout the country or even throughout the year. Um, Mm -hmm. But things like mercury rules on like what companies are allowed to emit into waterways, like you could get poisoned um, from rules that the Trump administration is rolling back. You could get poisoned like tomorrow, potentially. Um, I mean, isn't Flint still like they is not even clean water. Right. (laughs) Right. When is it going to get that? Um, Wow. Who knows? Uh, so, so yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it's sort of, especially also for 
communities. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you guys probably see this a lot in LA, but um, the sort of like underpinning of this notion of climate justice is the fact that environment or communities of color, low income communities across the country have been unfairly burdened for generations yep. with things like dumps, mm-hmm. incinerators, uh, right. power yep. plants. Um, so that just like continues unabated. And uh, even like the food deserts that they exactly. have. Uh, it's, it's all this. It's only fast food and 7-Elevens. Mm-hmm. And that's all that packaged packaging and plastic and everywhere right totally um you know even just thinking about like how people's benefits are allocated that allows them to live in a building that's energy efficient versus mm-hmm. one that's not right. like um you know what kind of car can you buy are you stuck with a 1985 car because you can't afford to buy a newer car um, yeah it's like burning oil every time you turn it on um so so i think it's like sort of it's the absolute least we can do is to make mm-hmm. sure that Joe Biden is elected. And that is the barest minimum if yeah. we don't, if it's just, if we, do, if we want to avert like, un, frankly, unmitigated catastrophe, yeah. Um, yeah. which we're already seeing happen. Well, and also what is something like little things in people's daily lives that, that we can do to be more climate conscious that we might not have thought about? Sure. Um. So... So this is a this is a super fascinating question for me because um, climate change is not our fault. Like it's not like like none none of the three of us like caused this. So it wasn't <laughs> our idea. Um, however, um, like nobody else is coming to fix it. Like, right, mm-hmm. we're all we got. Um, and especially, I mean, I'm like, still waiting you know, on the aliens, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, entirely possible theoretically at this point. I would put nothing past anything. Um, but it, like one of the things that I've learned working in government is just like, oh, this is we're all, this is it. Um, (laughs) This is what we got. Um, We got to figure this out. Um, So I would say both like, you know, thinking about the impacts of your consumption is super important. Um, You know, I, I don't beat myself up for every additional straw that comes home in the takeout bag, but I do like try to make sure that like we have water filters instead of water bottles. Like it's sort of like, you know, there's sort of, there are practices that you can put in place in your life, like around, I mean, obviously like eating less meat, eating locally raised food Mm -hmm. um, makes a huge impact on the climate. Um, but then also thinking about like what are the networks that you're a part of because like you doing one thing like last year I didn't buy any new clothes because I was just like I'm not gonna that's, that's gonna be cool. my thing for this for year a whole year yeah it was it was actually yeah it was it that's was really, really cool. hard oh my god that's in amazing. like September I was just like I want a new <laughs> fall dress stuff. so bad I know I was just like god. I was like I want shoes I I need mm-hmm. that they're cute I want them yeah um but then I just got really into like uh, buy nothing groups on Facebook, which like yeah. Facebook trash company, horrible for everything. But yes. I <laughs> yep. get a lot of free stuff from it. Um, so I'm a little bit stuck. Does thrifting um, count? Thrifting I allowed um, because okay. it wasn't like net new. It was like it right, already yeah. existed. So it's either going to go in the trash or to me. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to buy it instead. Save it from the trash generously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so like me doing that for one year is like, oh, that's cute. But like if you and 10 friends do that, then like, oh, that's a conversation. Or it's like, or if you and like, say you're part of like, you know, a community of like, maybe you've got, I don't know, I'm less familiar with the communities that you guys consider yourselves part of, but like, (laughs) maybe like as a music community or maybe Mm -hmm. like your neighborhood association or you got, you've got Mm -hmm. some friends like who work at a restaurant with you or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Like thinking about how you can sort of like all come in to do something or it's like, are you part of somewhere that can choose to purchase renewable energy instead of just like standard grid electricity? Um, does anywhere like, you know, can you convince your landlord to put solar on the roof? Like all of these things are like thinking about sort of like, what can I do as a person? Then what am I part of? And then how do I plug into like broader efforts that are happening, um, to sort of like push on some of these other things, like some of these corporate issues. Yeah. 
by bringing your community into it, make it fun. Like it's a mm-hmm. challenge for each other. Like if you and a friend are like, let's not buy anything. And then when, you know, you call, you're like, I want to really want to buy this, talk each other down kind of thing. Like you, <laughs> exactly. you can make a community out of it. Support system is key. Because <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you will be weak and you will yep. struggle in the face of it. Uh, like Instagram was so hard. Oh my God. Because <laughs> uh, the ads are so effective. They get right? me. It's so bad really bad um, like every day there's new sweat I don't even wear sweatpants and I'm just like I need them from I Instagram <laughs> oh my like, God. I don't even like why would right. I wear those it's so hot right um but but yeah I was gonna so, say yeah. like before well before we let you go I'm just because I I mean I was just telling Molly like I'm in like a like a weird place when it comes to I mean everything in the world but climate change specifically and I'm just feeling really pessimistic and I'm just wondering and you were kind of touching on this anyway like do you have hope and is there like some things you're seeing like progress that we can at least sleep at night with (laughs) yeah I so I am motivated by rage um that is like one of my key (laughs) motives um it's probably better for my acid reflux if I figured out a way to maybe not have that be a thing but there's actually like um one I was about a year ago I was like this is this sucks I am like at a low point I don't know if I can do this like I'm not tough enough Um, There's a bunch of writers and groups that I like turn to when I want to look for sort of like highlight, both highlighting things that are working well and also like sort of ways that to point out issues that just like make me angry, but like in a motivating way. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of my favorite authors who writes about climate is this woman named Mary Hegler. Um, so she actually works at NRDC, which is like a big nonprofit in the environmental space, but she, uh, she's a climate journalist, um, and climate essayist. Um, she writes a lot about climate grief. Um, she has a Mm. podcast, um, where she talks a lot about like how media covers climate and sort of like Mm. talking about how people talk about climate. Um, there's a woman named, um, uh, there's a, there's a, I'm blanking on the, the author's name, unfortunately, Emily something uh who writes a newsletter called heated which is like about like her climate anger um Mm -hmm. which also highlights like really incredible examples of sort of like frontline community led transitions to clean energy Mm -hmm. great sort of like work to build community together and also like points the finger at exxon all the time it's really satisfying um (laughs) youth movements obviously like it's super cliche to be like the teens are the future i am afraid of teenagers so i don't i like to watch them from a distance they are like like I don't Greta. Know, really awkward. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like a super awkward middle schooler still have not gotten over the being like, I, these kids are really cool. Yeah. I yeah. feel uncomfortable. Right. So I'm happy for the teens to be over there and do mm-hmm. their thing. I mean like Varshani Prakash, who's the leader of the sunrise movement is just like an incredible, mm. super committed, super talented woman. And there's some incredible legislation that's being introduced at the federal level, both by obviously Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's completely yeah. revolutionized the climate movement almost overnight. Yes. Um, to like Ilhan Omar and her work on the Green New Deal for housing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris have gotten on the train too in terms of like writing and co-sponsoring pieces of legislation around environmental justice and things like that. Um, yeah. So I think that there there has been a lot of work done for a long time, often led by women of color, um, mm-hmm. and to kind of like get us to a point where all of the pieces are in place and we just need to hit go. Um, yeah. So that's the thing that's super exciting to me um, and that feels satisfying. Um, and just like more and more people care about this every day. More and more people yeah. are frustrated. Yeah. More and more people are, are ready to like stand up and, and start to do things about it. So it's super encouraging to me. Well, thank, thank you. you so well, not much. only for being here, but thank you for like all the work you're doing. No, and yeah. thank you I am dying to have you on again. Dying to mm-hmm. have you on again because there's just so much that's going to happen. I'm sure <laughs> even after the election. It'd be interesting to see like, 
six months. It's like, what is the crime right. story yeah. in six months? I have exactly. no idea. Exactly. I can't predict anything. But thank you guys so much for having me on to talk thank about this. Thank you. All the and issues I feel that like you guys are talking about. Thank barely scratched the surface, but we'll like, definitely. So much. I know. I definitely want to have you back on, and I do. I'm really grateful that you gave us some of your time, uh, especially right now before people vote, and just in a time where people, I don't know, a lot of people have a little bit more time than we did in quote unquote normal life, sure. and so <laughs> maybe people have the energy to focus on these things more than they were before. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you for sharing this. Of course, anytime. And thank you guys. Thanks for having me. It's super fun. Thank you so, so much again, LP. Thank you so much for being here and talking to us about this. Um, we we actually had a longer conversation off air that was also fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, and we need to have her so on again. Much. Yeah, I honestly think that we should do an actual, we should do an episode on recycling alone because off the air yep. we were talking with her just about, you know, you think you're recycling, you put your plastics in the recycle, but... Little did you know, if you don't rinse out every single little ounce of salsa out of the jar, that's going in the landfill. Yep. And so there's a lot that we don't know. And I think a full episode on that could be helpful. Absolutely. Um, and so the charity nonprofit for this episode is incredible. I, we had never heard of this and Alyssa found it and it's spot on. So the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, the Coalition for Rainforest Nations assists tropical governments and communities to responsibly manage their rainforests. Healthy rainforests protect against changing climate, generate needed biodiversity and provide safe habitats. CRN is one of the most impactful charities in the environmental space, and a donation of just 12 cents will avert approximately a metric ton of CO2 or the equivalent in other greenhouse gases. This means that if you donate $100, you can avert around 857 metric tons of CO2. Just you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 12 cents does a lot. So you got a whole range. Do five bucks, do 100 bucks, whatever. Yeah. Um, to donate and learn more, please visit rainforestcoalition.org. Uh, I, I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about this episode. Hope you all enjoyed it. And don't forget to, um, follow us at the SOS pod on Instagram and Twitter. We are on Spotify. We are on Google. We are on Apple uh, podcasts. We're on YouTube. (laughs) Just search SOS with Molly and Alyssa and you're going to subscribe. You're going to leave us a review because it really, really helps us. Um, and yeah, we love you guys. And here's to turning meltdowns into magic. 